Amen, amen. Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. If you're with us, high five somebody real quick. We got some people in the house joining us for our behind the scenes recording. I want a high five. Can I have a high five? Thank you. All right, if you're at home, high five somebody that's in the home with you. As I always say, if you're by yourself, just go high five a mirror somewhere. Just go find the mirror, whether it's in your bathroom or your living room and high five. You gotta have some type of interaction with each other. Hey, real quick, I just wanna say welcome to all of our family that is following us online, watching with us online. First of all, we have our regular Victory family. Y'all all right there? Uh, we, we've had some interesting situations here. We got, we got our, our actual Victory family that's with us, and then we've got our Victory family. We call them our extended Victory family. They don't live in the Rutherford County area, but they watch with us, whether they might be through Tennessee or in a different state. And then certainly, we've been talking recently to those of you that have joined our family since we've been online only uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. And so again, welcome to you. I can't wait to meet you in person, but I am so glad to be with you online. Hey, I have some people with me in the house. I want you to hear them real quick. Give a shout real quick if you're with us. Come on, let me hear you. Let me hear you. Come on now. All right, they're, they're shy. We got some shy ones with us this morning, so they're not as loud as they could be. But we are uh, continuing our series called The Journey where we have been talking about who is Jesus. And we've been doing that by going through the book of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the best that we can. So I wanna encourage you to get your Bibles, get your notepads. I have been telling our church, please journal during this series. And, and the reason for that is because we are unlocking so much information about who Jesus is. And it's gonna be really easy for you to kind of forget this as we move forward. And so I've been really asking you, hey, write it down in your journal. Write down not only what I'm saying, but what God's telling you. And so that not only can you look back on it and be encouraged, but hey, you can disciple somebody with this information. You can sit down and say, hey, let me walk you through who Jesus is. And this is something I do really believe that we'll be doing in the near future, and that is taking this material and then doing our best to disciple others in the process. And so before we jump into today's message, I do wanna to touch on two quick things. One is our uh, annual Purpose Prevails offering that we do. Uh, in case you're just now joining us or been with us just recently, at the end of every year, we challenge those in our church to look back on the year and see all that God has done faithfully in, in every area, from health to finances to just blessings to God's hand being on their family and different things. And we ask you to pray and consider uh, taking an end-of-the-year offering and giving it back to the kingdom of God and just kind of a way of expressing the thankfulness. Um, we, we do that on a verse in Proverbs that talks about how you, man can decide their steps, but the Lord's purpose prevails. And we just believe that. And we take 100% of that money, we turn around and we put it in outreach and events to be able to see more people come to know Jesus. And, and it, be honest with you, one of the things I'm so excited about with this particular offering is every year there's somebody who's never participated that participates and then sees the faithfulness of God in the process. And so here's one of the things that I'm, uh, I constantly tell our church. I say, hey, look, don't do it because I asked you to do it. Just take a moment and pray about it. Just pray and say, God, would you want me to give something during this Purpose Prevails end of the year offering? And if God says no, then don't do it. Pretty simple. Like, I'm never gonna ask you to do something that God doesn't ask you to do. So, so just don't do it. But, but if God does ask you to do it, then I encourage you to pray and do whatever it is that he tells you to do. We'll continue to be able to give more testimonies, people who have given years in the past. And December 6th is the Sunday that we're going to officially take it up. Obviously, we're not going to be able to take it up in person, but we'll be able to give it online and we'll be able to celebrate all that God has done through that offering. There'll also be more information throughout the week on our social media, uh, just encouraging what this looks like and the, the concept behind it. And so I just want to encourage you to start praying about it now. 
Last, if you were with us last week, we introduced this acronym, I guess you would say, this concept that I think is going to actually be a, a, a foundational piece for our church. And it was WDJHIM is what we talked about. Uh, And we talked about the WWJD bracelets and and we're working on some merch now for you. And the concept was, what does Jesus have in mind? What does Jesus have in mind? And it was based off where Jesus looks to Philip and asks Philip what he should do about feeding all of these people. And it says Jesus said this to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And I kind of shared that, that through this journey of who is Jesus, there's a handful of things that I'm really asking God to give me revelation on when it comes to my personal walk with Jesus. And one of them is prayer and miracles and that concept. And I've really been wrapped around this deal that Jesus answers the prayers that are in according to God's will. And we talked a lot about that. And we talked about how instead of just praying what we want, pray what does Jesus have in mind, and, and I really felt that for our church, and, and I hope that as you watched last week or were here for last week, you really feel it, and it's, I think, going to become a staple in uh, our particular church family, but along with that, I could see how, the, how this Sunday for sure, and maybe even some upcoming Sundays are going to continue to connect with that and continue to move that idea Forward. So if you haven't watched last week, you missed it. The title of the message was Not What I Had in Mind. Go back, check that out so that you'll be in tune with us because that message, this message, and I think messages to come are going to all fall in that same vein. Cool? All right? Y'all ready for the word? Here we go. John chapter 6 is where we're at. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're actually going to pick up right where we left off last week. So Jesus is being followed by this crowd because he is performing all these miracles and the crowd is following him because of these miracles. And so they're, they're following him, wanting him to do a miracle in their life. And then the Bible says that Jesus wanted to feed them. And so he gets this loaf of bread and these two fish from this little boy and he takes it and he multiplies it miraculously and he feeds the crowd. So that's where we left off. We're gonna pick up in verse 12. So John chapter six, verse 12 And it goes like this, when they had all had enough to eat, so once everybody was full, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, the disciples gathered all the leftover pieces of bread and fish, and they filled 12 baskets, which is interesting because obviously there are 12 disciples. And so he filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So Jesus said, hey, get all the leftovers, put them in a basket and take them with you. After the people, now here's the two main verses for today. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed. So after they saw Jesus feed, as we said last week, you know, somewhere around 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So after the people saw Jesus perform this miracle, they said, surely this is the prophet. And then Jesus, knowing that they wanted to make him king by force, withdrew himself away from them. I want to talk to you this morning from this idea. What happens when I assume? What happens when I assume? I think we have all had a moment where we made some assumptions that we would now regret. Am I right? 
Like, have, have you ever made an assumption before in a situation? Like, something happens, and you didn't have all the facts, and so you made an assumption, and that assumption, looking back, was really absurd, and, and it actually maybe even hurt some relationships or, or whatever happened because you made an assumption. Have you ever, you ever done that before? Ever made that assumption that now you regret because you shouldn't have made that assumption? I, I was trying to process through, through my early life through all of the terrible assumptions that I've made. I've made assumptions with my wife. I've made assumptions with my kids. I've made assumptions with friends. I've made assumptions in my career. I've made so many different assumptions that, that were wrong that I was trying to pick like my favorite one. And, and honestly, I couldn't pick my favorite one. But I, I remembered this one particular story when Darla, Darla and I were youth pastors that I thought was an interesting uh, example of how an assumption can go so wrong. So we were youth pastors for about five or six years, and this, I'll never forget this, this particular teenage girl started coming to the youth group, and she got saved one night. I remember she got baptized in water. She was so on fire for God. It was such a cool thing. She had another friend that had been coming to the youth group, and she invited her, and so she was just on fire for Jesus. It was a really cool thing. You see it a lot of times in the youth group. And then, I don't know, a couple months go by, and she just disappeared. She just quit coming. Now, that's not incredibly abnormal, especially for young people. But it was interesting to me that she was so on fire and so excited, and then all of a sudden, she just quit coming, and I would go and ask her friend, you know, about her, and she'd go, oh, you know, she'd just kind of blow it off, and so, you know, time went on. So I think about four or five years went, went by. Darla and I were no longer youth pastors, and we got a message from her on Facebook, and her message went something like this, that at some point, that friend of hers that had invited her had told her that Darla and I didn't like her. Right, and, and I, I can't even remember all the details. Obviously, it wasn't true. We would have no reason not to like her. But, but she, they, they, she, she, her friend had told her all these different things, and she said in the message, she said, I just assumed she was telling the truth instead of coming and talking to you guys about it. And she said, now, now that she was older, now that she was more mature, now that obviously that friendship had gone its own way, now she was looking back, reaching out, and obviously finding out that that wasn't true. And so it was just interesting to me that because of something that this young lady assumed it actually like altered her entire life in that season. And if we aren't careful, when we assume things, if we assume the wrong thing, it also can begin to have an, an, an impact on not only the rest of our lives or not only the next couple of months of our life, but sometimes the rest of our lives, right? So I think it's important for us to really be careful when we assume. Now here's the deal. All throughout the New Testament, Different people assumed that Jesus was someone or something, right? Like, like as you read throughout the New Testament, you'll just see. So, some people assumed that Jesus was John the Baptist. They assumed he was like this reincarnated version of John the Baptist. Some people assumed that he was Elijah because Elijah had never actually died. He had gone up in this whirlwind. And so they said, oh, that must be Elijah coming back. And now that's who Jesus is. They assumed that's who Jesus was. So, some people assumed that Jesus was Jeremiah. Some people assumed that Jesus was the devil. They actually said that. Uh, some people assumed that Jesus was a lunatic because how could you do and say the things that he was saying and doing? One assumption in the Bible that's really funny, and it happens in this chapter, but we're not going to talk about it uh, in this sermon, but, but it, you can actually see it. This is one of the few miracles that you see in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and in those different versions of it, there's a time where these disciples get on this boat and Jesus starts to come near them and they assume that Jesus is a ghost, right? So Jesus has been assumed to be John the Baptist. 
People have assumed he's Jeremiah. People have assumed he's Elijah. People have assumed he's the devil. People have assumed he's a lunatic. And now his own disciples are assuming that he is a ghost. All throughout scripture, people are trying to, to define who is Jesus. And they're all making assumptions. And then it made me have this thought this week. How many things that I know about Jesus are really just what I assume, right? Like depending on how long you've been in church. Some of us have been saved for a couple of years. Some of us have been saved for 20 years, depending on what your parents' faith background is, depending on what church you went to, what denomination you grew up. It just made me step back for a second and go, man, how many things and I'll be honest with you, since we've been on this journey, I've had some assumptions crushed. And I couldn't help but wonder how many things that I know, right, I know about Jesus are really just things that I assumed. And so to be able to answer that question, it starts like this. How did I arrive at my assumption? How did I arrive at my assumption? John chapter 6, verse 14 says this, watch. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed. So after all of these people saw Jesus perform this particular miracle, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. So here's what's happened. Jesus is in front of this massive crowd, and he takes the, the bread from this boy, and he multiplies the bread and feeds 20,000 people. And then he takes the pieces of the bread and puts it into baskets and sends it with the disciples as leftovers. And because he does that, and because the people see him do that, they step back and say, this must be the prophet that we were told about. Hear me. The assumption that we arrive at will always be based on what we believe. The assumption that you always arrive at, and I'm going to really pick this apart in a minute, but the assumption that you arrive at will be connected and based on what you actually believe. Let me show you what I mean. All of these people would have been raised up learning the five first books of the Bible, okay? So they would have had to have all read the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it's recorded where Moses says, God is going to send a prophet after me who is just like me. So everybody in the crowd would have heard that. Not only would they have heard that, they would have had that drilled into their minds that there is going to be a prophet coming who is just like Moses. They heard Moses say it. They were waiting for it. They believed it. And watch this. One of Moses' greatest miracles is when God used him to bring manna from the skies. It's when God used him to do a miracle with bread. And so because of what they believe, when they see Jesus doing a miracle with bread, they step back and go, oh, this must be the prophet that Moses was talking about because I have been taught that there will be a prophet after Moses, just like Moses. And Moses did miracle with bread, and now this dude's doing miracles with bread, and therefore he must be the prophet. Because hear me, church, the assumption that you always arrive at will be based on what you believe. 
You don't just show up randomly to assumptions. You don't just jump over here out of nowhere. Deep down, there is a root of what you have been taught or what you have experienced or what you believe. So in order for us to really experience who Jesus is, we must start by tearing down who we assume him to be. Did you catch that? In order for us to fully understand who Jesus is, we must start by tearing down who we assume him to be. There was a show recently that got really popular. I watched it once and I hated it. Um, it it's a show called The Masked Singer. Have y'all heard of this show? Right? So, so these people come out in these really elaborate costumes and they sing and then the judges are trying to guess who they are. And I was like, man, this show could be literally 90 seconds long, right? Like just show us who's singing it. I'm done. I was already done. Um, and, and I just I had no interest in it. It wasn't popular to me, but it, it was really popular to you know, today's culture and society because there's obviously something wrong with us. And so that, that thing became really popular and now they've got this new show and I think, I think it's called I Can See Your Voice. Do, do, do y'all know what I'm talking about? I can't quite remember the name of it. I forgot to memorize it. I think it's called I Can See Your Voice. But, but let me give you the, the context of the show. So the context of the show is these people come out and they're standing there and they're not dressed up in any costumes and they're just a normal person. And then there's judges who are set aside and the judges can ask these people questions, you know, all about, you know, your, your, your background, your education. They can ask you, they can have conversations with you. There's always different things. The only thing that that person cannot do is sing. And then the judge is supposed to guess whether or not they can sing. This is what entertainment has come to. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, first of all, don't give me, I saw another soapbox. I won't get on that. So, so these people come out. And the whole point of the show is by looking at you, just by looking at you, I'm supposed to be able to make the assumption on whether or not you can sing. What I know, here, I get a little bit of truth from you. Oh, I was born in Boston. Oh, I, I was born to a single mom's home. You know, I get a little bit of truth about you, but then I have to step back, look at you, and then make the assumption as to whether or not you sing. And then you sing and if I'm right, I'm right, or whatever. I don't, I've actually never watched it. But I'm just telling you, that's what it's about. I'm not telling you to watch it. I'm sure it's terrible. But my point is that the whole show is wrapped around the fact that these judges have to make an assumption on whether or not this person can sing. So watch this. Here is, here is what I have arrived at when it comes to the concept of an assumption. An assumption is made. You and I make assumptions when... We are given pieces of the truth, okay? Not all of the truth, but pieces of the truth. For example, born in Boston, born to a single mother's home, right? But we're not given the whole truth, pieces of the truth. And then there are holes now in the full process, right? In the full statement, there are now holes. I have some truth, but I don't have all the truth. And because there's holes, I am now left to fill those holes with my assumptions, so I am supposed to take my values, my beliefs, my convictions, my thoughts, my fears, my interests, my insecurities, and I'm supposed to fill those holes to develop truth. Did you catch that? We're going to go a little deep on this psychologically, all right? So I want you to roll with me on this. You're given pieces of truth. The true statement, can they sing? That's a statement. Well, I don't know. 
because I've been given pieces of truth, but I don't have the whole truth. So now I have to use my inner thoughts, my inner feelings. Well, look at based off how they're dressed, right? Right? I mean, well, I have to start developing this. And then I come up, and at the end, there is this assumed truth. All right, let, 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 me, let, me, let me get it a little bit more personal so that you can understand where I'm going with this. Um, you text your friend, and you know that your friend has their phone because the little Apple thing tells you, right? But they don't answer back. You have some of the truth, but you don't have all the truth. So now you are left to fill those holes with your own personal assumptions, right? Let me go really deep, because I need y'all to really grasp on to where we're going with this for this whole message to make sense. So I'm gonna let you into a personal situation that I hope will open it up for you. So because of my childhood, because of some things I experienced as a child, I am extremely insecure in the concept of relationship and infidelity. I'm just extremely insecure when it comes to that because of some stuff I experienced as a child growing up, some some actual things that happened to me, um, you know, that happened in my life with my family, and so it's kind of created that in me. When Darla and I get married, she knows that about me, and so she knows that she's going to have to work extra hard to be able to help me understand and to help me in those moments where I make assumptions, right? So um, a couple years ago, most of, the, most of the time, I go to sleep before Darla goes to sleep. She's a night owl. I'm not. And so most of the time, she's in the bedroom. All the lights are on. TV's on. She's doing all And I'm sound asleep. And so one particular night, I, I happened to wake up. I looked at the clock. It was like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, okay? And so I, I'm, I'm barely even alive, right? I'm just kind of like, oh. And Darla's back was to me, and she was on her phone, and she was texting somebody. And so again, like I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not quite all the way coherent, you know, at this moment. So I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, oh, 2.30, and I just fell back asleep. But I woke up that morning before her, and I went to the gym. And I, I literally couldn't even pray that morning because all I could think about was, who was she texting at 2.30 in the morning, right? Like, like my kids are asleep, I'm asleep, everybody that knows Jesus is asleep. So, so why, is she, why is she texting at 2.30 in the morning? And my mind is just racing. Watch this. I, I'm, I'm literally in prayer with Jesus, and I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. I got, I got so much going on in my head. And here's what happened. I had pieces of the truth. It was 2.30 in the morning. She was texting somebody because I could see the phone just barely. I had these pieces of truth. I was asleep. Our kids were asleep. So I had these pieces of truth. And now, the next morning, it's my, I'm, I'm left up to fill those holes based off of my beliefs my convictions, my values, my interests, my fears, and my insecurities. Does that make sense? Y'all, I had this elaborate story. It was so, I was driving back home. I was so mad. I had come up with this whole story of what she was doing, right? Because I was filling in those holes. And I'll go ahead and, and take away all of the, uh, the, you know, the, the suspense. I came home and come to find out we have a goddaughter in Memphis, and that goddaughter was out of town, and she had gotten really, really sick, and they were texting each other. And that's what it was. So that was the truth. But, but because I didn't have all of the truth, right, it was left up to me to fill those holes. Now you're like, all right, Troy, where in the world is any of this going? All right, let me help you. 
Barna study says that 76% of Americans read their Bible sporadically or infrequently, okay? 76% of Americans who read their Bible are reading their Bible sporadically. Here's what that probably means. That means they probably have it a devotional that's giving them a verse a day, right? Here's 1 Corinthians 13, read it. There's no context. There's no connection of who's saying it or why they're saying it or what it's talking about. They're reading, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they have no idea that Paul is talking about being content whether you are in bad or good, right? And so they're reading these verses here. So watch this. They have pieces of truth. They have these pieces of truth that they're reading throughout the week and throughout the month and throughout their life. But there's these holes. When it comes to the full fact of who is Jesus, they have, yes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Piece of truth. Yes, Christ died for my sins. Piece of truth. And we have these little pieces of truth, but there's holes in the situation. And what ends up happening is we end up filling those holes with our interests, our thoughts, our insecurities, our beliefs, what our parents taught us, what my denomination says, what my grandfather said, what my social media friends say. And it's how we fill these holes. And when it's all said and done, we have this assumed Jesus. And then we operate in our faith with this assumed Jesus. I was in a line the other day. I think it was at Target. I'm not sure. And I was waiting to check out and uh, there was one of these tabloid magazines. And I don't normally read those for obvious reasons. But there, on the cover, it said, uh, the perfect man is, is somehow how I said it. And I was like, I thought that was me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really curious to, to what they're saying here. Like, I, didn't, I didn't even remember them doing an article on me. And so I get the magazine, and I'm looking at it, and I get to the page where it's at. Here's what they had done. Y'all probably seen this before. They had taken all these different attributes from different celebrities. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was like Brad Pitt's eyes, and, you know, George Clooney's smile, and Dwayne Johnson's biceps, and, you know, Channing Tatum's abs, you know. And they had, they had put all these different together from all these celebrities and put it together, like Morgan Freeman's voice. You know what I'm like? That's awkward. And so they put it all together, and they were like, this is the perfect man, right? That's what they did, taking all this, boom, the perfect man. And when I saw it, I, I was reminded this week of that moment. Here's what I started thinking. Here's what we do. We build the perfect Jesus, Right? We take the pieces of truth that we have, but then we start taking all of the things that we like and we put them together. Well, my, well, in Sunday school, he said this and I liked it. And my mama always said this growing up and I liked it. And we start putting all these pieces together and we sit back and we're done and it's like weird science. We sit back and it's like, aha, the perfect Jesus. And here's the thing about perfect Jesus is perfect Jesus always points out other people's wrongs, but not ours, right? Perfect Jesus knows how to stand up for what we believe in, but doesn't know how to love people despite what they believe. Because we know how to put all of our values into the holes, all of our interests, all the things that we like and dislike, and all the verses that we don't understand, and all the truth that we don't like, we just kind of lean that out, right? I'll take Jesus' heart, but I don't want his mouth. And we put these pieces together, and we step back, and it's like, aha, perfect Jesus. And here's the scariest thing, is that there are people 
who have been living for years following perfect Jesus, assumed Jesus, their version of Jesus. And they're missing out on a fulfilled life and all that he is because they have pieces of truth and not the whole truth, right? Now here's what I'm learning, that Jesus has no desire of being a part of our assumptions. He has no desire. In fact, he runs from it. Not only does he not want to do it, he flees when he sees it happening. Watch John chapter six, verse 15, watch this. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him, to come and make him, to come and put him together like they wanted him, to come and pick their favorite things about him and develop him, to make him king by force. What did Jesus do? Jesus stepped up and said, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Jesus stepped up and said, hey, I don't want to lose your fellowship or your finances, so what do you like about me? Says Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Hear me. Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. These people had an agenda. Rome was now in power, and they didn't want Rome to be in power. So they wanted a king who would come and overpower Rome. So when Jesus starts doing miracles, they're like, there he is. Right? Like, if, if we're all in a weightlifting uh, uh, contest, and the rock walks in, you're like, yep, I'll take him. I'll, I'll, he's, he's my guy. I got that guy, right? I don't know, if, I don't know how many of y'all play, like, basketball when you're growing up, but, but I used to play basketball a lot. And there was nothing worse than when it came time to pick teams. You know what I mean? Because there were people out there who you just knew were good, right? And some people would be like, first pick, I got him. And then there were the people that were picked last, which was often me, right? And he just kind of, he's like, oh, I got him. And that's how they were with Jesus. It was like, oh, we got him. This guy does miracles. He can throw over Rome. We want him. He needs to be our king. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't want anything to do with what you're talking about. I'm not here to be the king of your kingdom. Honest question for a moment. Have you ever found yourself using Jesus to advance your kingdom? Ouch. One of the ways I hear it often said is, but the Lord told me to. Did he? Because there's a lot of things he told you to do that you still don't do. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. It's getting, it's getting a little sharp in here. Let me say this first before I go too hard on this situation. It's really not our fault. Because for most of us, when we met Jesus, there is the occasional person, my wife, probably Chris, probably Denise, who, who, who met Jesus at a really young age. But for most of us, I met Jesus at 18. Some of us met Jesus at 30. Some of us met Jesus at 45. Some of us met Jesus at 16. Some of us met Jesus at 22. Some of us, most of us, watch this, met Jesus after we were already building our kingdom, right? Before I met Jesus, someone had already asked me, what do I want to do with my life? So I had already started the process of building 
my kingdom. I had already gotten paid $40 a week from Chick-fil-A multiple times before I met Jesus. So I'd already treated my money the way I wanted to treat my money. For a lot of us, when we meet Jesus, we're already in the process of building our kingdom. So when we meet Jesus, here's our natural thought. Yes, I want the miracle worker to be the king of my kingdom, right? Like when it came to my career and my dreams, before Jesus, it was up to me. And I'm not that sharp. So when I meet Jesus, I'm like, yes, the guy that fed 20,000 people with bread is about to be the guy that makes sure I get the job I want. So we make him the king of our kingdom. And we run around saying, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. As long as Jesus is moving ahead our kingdom, as long as he's advancing what we want. And if we're not careful, because we have built assumed Jesus, we think Jesus has the same interests that we do. We think Jesus has the same values that we do. We think Jesus has the same pettiness as we do. We think Jesus has the same inability to forgive as we do. And we want Jesus to advance our kingdom. Jesus showed up to this place with the expectation of allowing these people to be co-heirs of his kingdom. They saw Jesus as the person they wanted to make king of their kingdom. So in the end, they failed to get the king that they wanted while losing the kingdom he was offering. Gosh. Is that not powerful? Jesus shows up to allow us to be a part of his kingdom. The Bible says we are co-heirs, priests, right? Priesthood. Jesus shows up and says, hey, hey here's, here's my kingdom, and I want you to be a part of my kingdom. Meanwhile, we are combating with Jesus, saying, no, 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 no. I want you to be the king of my kingdom. And as long as that's the tension, and as long as that's the interaction, in the end, we don't get the king we wanted because Jesus will never advance your vision that's not following in the will of God, and we lose out on the kingdom he was offering us all along. So if you got your notes, get ready. I want you to write this down. If you've been following along with us, we've been writing Jesus is, and then every week or so, we've been kind of setting up an idea, and then I'll break it down a little bit. So, so here it is. For your notes right here, I want you to write it really big. I want you to give a whole page to it, because if you're following us, if you registered for the journey, I'm sending you extra notes. I got extra notes coming for you this week. Here you go. You're going to write, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He's king. Now, listen to me. That is not a political term. That is not a theological term. That is not just a title. Here's what I think is powerful. We do not get to assume what king means. Okay? That's not our job. We don't get to call Jesus king and then all of a sudden assume what king means. King meant that your word was the law. Right? 
King meant that you had all authority. King meant that if you ever went up against the king, you were probably getting your head cut off. So when we say Jesus is king, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to be on the throne while you tell him what to do. It means that he is all authority. It means that his word is law. Right? But you know what I found out about myself? I have the tendency to let Jesus sit on the throne, but yet I keep the crown. Let me say it like this. There have been times in my life where I called Jesus king, but I wouldn't get off the throne of my life. Let me show you an example. Babe, can I use you real quick? I figured I'd have to use you because uh, Jamal's not here, and he's always the one I pick on. But, but in case I have to touch you, um, I'm legally allowed to do that, thanks to marriage. And so come sit here for a second. Uh, you're going to represent God, all right? Or we'll say Jesus. We represent Jesus, which makes sense. Okay, so let's get this way out here for a second. So, so, so here's, how, here's how most of us operate. So this is your crown. So wear your crown. We say, all right, I want Jesus to be king of my life. All right, Jesus, you, you're on the throne, right? I'm following. Jesus is king. All right, Jesus, be king. And all of a sudden, he goes, I would like to talk to you about relationships. Oh, well, hold on. You're talking about relationships. Hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Excuse me, Jesus. Sorry, sorry. So we're going to talk about relationships. Hey, real quick. I know, I know, you're, I know you're king. Hold on one second. Let me, when it comes to relationships, I'm, I'm better at it, right? I got this. Okay, so. When it comes to relationships, I think this, that, that. Cool, everybody got it? Cool. All right, All right. hey, Jesus, Jesus, come on. You're, you're the king of my life. You are the king. Woo, Jesus, the king. I will rejoice and be glad. All right, be king, Jesus. I want to talk about your finances. Oh, oh, hey, wait, 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 wait. Hey, Jesus, hold on a second. Thanks, brother, appreciate it. All right, so real quick, because when it comes to finances, I want you to be king on a lot. But when it comes to finances, I'm, I'm better at it, right? So, so, so let me be able to talk through. Okay, cool. All right, good. All right, good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, hey, Jesus. Jesus, come on. Right back. Hang on. Put, your, put the crown on. There you go. Jesus, be, I want you to be, be king. Be, be, be king, okay? All right. I want to talk about loving other people. Whoa, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's talk about that real quick. All right, good. I want you to stay right there. I want you to stay right there because I want you to be king. But not over this, right? Like, I, I want you to be king over the, the Bible things. But when it comes to relationships or when it comes to my finances or when it comes to whether or not I, I know how to love other people, I, I want to take back on that throne, right? Does it make sense? And this is often how I find myself doing life. It's like, oh, all right, Jesus, come on. I want you to be king. I want you to be king, Jesus. I want you to be king. And then I kind of stay around Jesus and see what we're talking about. And when the Bible starts talking about tithing and giving, or when the Bible starts talking about loving my neighbor, or when the Bible starts talking about turning the other cheek, and you know, when all of a sudden my political view is, whoop, Jesus, my political view, I, I gotta make sure everybody knows, gotta make sure everybody knows where I stand. And we take back on the throne of our life. You, you can go sit down. I'm a, I'm a, you can go sit down. Do medicine with you right now. But, but does the illustration make sense? Like there's like this moment where we, we get saved, and then we say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be king. But then every time something happens that starts 
addressing our agenda, the temptation is to take back the crown, the crown, sorry, and remove Jesus from the throne. And Jesus can't be the king if I keep wearing the crown, right? What they wanted to do was they wanted to make Jesus the king of their kingdom. Jesus, I want your blessing. I want your favor. I want your principles. But I want my kingdom. And Jesus never had a plan to be the king of their kingdom. Let me ask this real quick. I was thinking, as I was writing this, I was, I was thinking about people who would be watching who up to this point have remained king of their life, right? Like, Jesus saved me, and that's true. But they've remained the king of their life. I, I think the pandemic has really caused a lot of people to kind of take back over the throne, right? It's like, hey, Jesus, I'm cool if you got this, I'm cool. But all of a sudden, I don't know how to deal with this pandemic. This is different. So I need you to get back out of the driver's seat again. And here was the question I wanted to ask. For those of you that have remained the king, have continued to wear the crown, here was my question. How's it going? How's your relationship going? How's your anxiety? How's your depression? How's your finances? How's your career? How's your faith? How are your thoughts? Are you sleeping? Where's your joy? How about your peace? just for those that would say, yeah, I, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but I've still been wearing the crown. How's your health? How's your peace? How's your life? Right? Here's what I'm learning. I think you would agree with me. Jesus is a better king than I'll ever be. Do you agree? We've talked a lot about how Jesus is the Lamb of God, the resurrection, the new normal. That Jesus died for our sins so that everyone who believes could come to know him, could have eternal life. Those things are really easy to amen. But Jesus is about to start talking about his kingdom. And there's fixing to be a moment here where we shift in the identity of Jesus. Where it goes beyond is he just your savior and into is he your Lord. I talked last week about 
when the disciples came to Jesus and said, we don't know how to pray, and Jesus said, pray like this, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what we talked about, how will be done. What does Jesus have in mind? Praying that the will be done. But if you rewind for just a moment, Jesus says, my kingdom come. So here's what Jesus is ultimately saying. I did not come to take over the throne of your kingdom. I came so that you could partake in mine. My kingdom come. My will be done. So ultimately, as a Christ follower, when we get the real truth of who Jesus is, there must be a moment where we lay down our kingdom for his, right? There's a moment where we just kind of cast the crown. Where we give him the throne of our life and we don't slide back in every time that he says something that we don't enjoy. The principle of W-D-J-H-I-M can only work when you're willing to give up your kingdom for God's kingdom. What does Jesus have in mind? I'll guarantee you that it's probably not exactly the way you saw it going. Next week, we're gonna go a little deeper into this because Jesus is about to say something. Now watch this. All these disciples are following him. They believe he is. They assume he's the man. They want to make him king. And Jesus is about to say one thing. And because he says it, everybody stops, turns around, and leaves him. The only way that can happen is when you want Jesus to be your savior, but you have not gotten to the place where you're okay with him being your Lord. So that's what I want to pray over you this morning. I don't know that there's a better time than right now to begin to evaluate our lives and say, is Jesus my Lord? Is he my king? Yes, he's your savior. Yes, he died for your sins. But is he your king? Or does your prayer sound more like this? My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come. My will be done. I think that's the prayer we all need to be asking ourselves, especially in this season. And I just want to pray with you. Again, maybe, maybe you've never heard this concept before. Maybe the idea of Jesus was just here to die for my sins, and that's kind of where it stops. And the idea of Jesus being your king or Jesus being your Lord is foreign to you. Maybe you just assumed that all he came to do was to die for your sins. And I want you to understand something, that complete fulfillment, complete satisfaction, 
Everything you've ever heard Jesus to be and everything you've ever desired in your heart comes when Jesus is king. Father, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you that it's so clear that it lays out for us so clear all that you are, all that you should be, all that you want to be. I thank you. I actually thank you that you didn't come to be the king of my kingdom because my kingdom's flawed. But Father, you came to replace my kingdom with your kingdom. The kingdom in which you are already king, which your word says I get to be the co-heir. Father, I pray for everybody that's watching, everybody that's listening. I had attended church for many years, Father, before I ever heard of the concept of you being my Lord or my King. And this is the turn that you're about to take with all of your followers. Everybody has followed you because you're loving and because you do miracles. Father, you're about to address the fact that you want to be their king, their Lord. And that's where it is, God. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the revelation is. And so it's my prayer right now that, again, everybody that's watching, everybody that's listening would, would lean in And they'd begin to pray that prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Be my king. And your will be done. W-D-J-H-I-M. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.